You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the socially distant studios of radio and television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another pandemic episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Do you have problems with deer? Want to start a late season garden? Are cartoon dice with legs attacking your plants? And do you want to know why the smell of soil increases your endorphins? We'll answer all with a fantastic four-part question of the week. Plus your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ironically inculpable insinuations. So keep your eyes and our ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you sniffing soil instead of taking Prozac to get up for putting that darn mask on one more time right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center. Everything for outdoor living. Locally grown flowers plus a 7,500 square foot showroom of patio furniture. Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center in Allentown. More at LVHGC.com. Welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we have a fantastic four-part question of the week where we will talk about deer, raised beds, insects that look like dice with little cartoon legs, and we'll talk more about why your soil may be better for your mood than Prozac. That's a lot to do, so we better hop right to your fascinating phone calls. Nancy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you very much. How are you and Ducky today? We are both Ducky. Ducky has his mask on. I'd be I'd be wearing mine, except I already okay. got, got stopped by a cop when I was driving past a oh. liquor store wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where are you? I'm in Albrightsville, Carbon County, Pennsylvania. Okay. Just over the Blue Mountain from you. All right. What can we do uh, for Nancy uh, just on the other side of Blue Mountain? Well, I've been taping your show as not to miss anything. Oh, thank you. And I know you are very good at composting. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, I was wondering about the safety of using commercial composted manures. I know that that racehorses and cows have been given steroids. So I was wondering when you get that composted manure, does any of that go through to uh, plants you're using? Does that affect like mushrooms or my rhubarb or anything like that? Is your rhubarb coming up? Yes, it is. Okay. This has come up for many years, back to when I was the editor-in-chief of Organic Gardening Magazine. Um, A couple things to remember. Cow manure is kind of very lightweight in nutrients, but the nutrients are pretty balanced compared to other manures. But if you know anything about cows, their uh, detrius would be difficult to collect except in a factory farming situation. And in these factory farming situations, the cows are likely, but not always, to be subjected uh, to large amounts of antibiotics to prevent disease because of the overcrowding, and of course, uh, the growth hormone to make them produce more milk, which of course today is like ridiculous as farmers are having uh, to dump their milk because they can't get it to market. I think I've said this on the show before, my old friend Andy Weil, a natural 
physician, MD, who went to Harvard, but then studied in the rainforest as well. Andy's a great guy. We were attending an alternative cancer conference together, and we had dinner with like a few friends, and somebody who had just joined us at the table asked Andy, what's the least healthy food you can eat? And without dropping a beat, he said, anything cooked by an angry person. And so I can't imagine that these cows are happy. So I don't use cow manure. Now, horse manure is another story. Yes, thoroughbreds may be receiving antibiotics and stuff like that. But I would think most horse manure comes from just horse farms where the horses just graze and do their thing. Uh, composted horse manure is still fairly rich in nitrogen, um, but I find it totally acceptable, you know, if it's mixed with other nutrients to, um, you know, balance it out. And of course, if it is completely composted, um, it has to not smell like horse manure. It has to not feel like horse manure, and it has to not look like horse manure. One of my first gardens, a good friend of mine gave me, uh, not buckets, giant trash cans full of well-aged horse manure. And I thought he was lying to me because it just seemed like really good soil. So if you use horse manure before it's fully, completely, really, totally composted, you'll grow a a sea of weeds in your garden. And uh, poultry manure is probably the safest of the bunch The best poultry manure would be from backyard chickens where the droppings and the bedding are collected and put out to compost. Because when that comes out, then that's pretty well balanced because of all the carbon that was in the bedding, whether it's wood chips or straw or something like that. But now I'm thinking of all these giant commercial egg productions, and although... You know, there's a tremendous demand now for antibiotic-free chicken and eggs. So I think it is, it, it's, it's, it's up to you. I would say the safest of the bunch is horse manure. And you mentioned mushrooms, right? Yeah, I always wash them very carefully. Oh, okay. Well, you should wash everything really carefully, even the produce that comes out of your own garden. Mushrooms have been grown in... Uh, kind of fresh horse manure for mm-hmm. ages, perhaps millennia, because they need the heat. Now, are you getting gourmet mushrooms or just the regular white button mushroom? I buy the out of the store the white button ones, and uh, I I was to a mushroom farm one time in Kennett Square, right? And I saw how they were raised. But can you buy horse manure, composted horse manure? Oh, yeah. yeah. And where you live, uh, you sit up in Carbon County, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. There must be a lot of horses up there. Well, I've never really, I don't know anyone. I know somebody that has racehorses, but I would kind of stay away from that. Yeah. Um, you can buy composted horse manure. And uh, what are you going to use it on, though? Obviously, you're not growing your own mushrooms. No, no, no. I use it on my rhubarb, on my blueberries. Up here at 1,500 feet, we have trouble growing things. I'm in 1,000 feet, so I, I, I feel your pain. I'm in the foothills of South Mountain. No to the blueberries. Absolutely no to the blueberries. Mm-hmm. Blueberries oh. are a fruiting crop, and mm-hmm. they don't want the high nitrogen of the composted horse manure. They also want a very acidic soil. 
for blueberries, you just got to keep piling on the milled peat moss, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of sulfur, and then a good balanced organic fertilizer. You can go to town with the rhubarb. I believe the old original instructions for planting rhubarb said first fill the hole with well-rotted horse manure. Same thing as with an uh, asparagus bed. Fill Uh the whole thing with well-rotted horse manure because that's another non-flowering, non-fruiting plant that likes a lot of nitrogen. And to get flowers, you want phosphorus and potassium as well. So you can balance that out with some other nutrients. But if you're only going to use the horse manure, have use a very small amount or mix it half and half with some compost. Okay. If you're buying bags of cow manure, you can buy bags of high quality compost. Yeah. So 50-50 horse manure and compost would be fine. But so would just the compost alone. So you don't think that any of the plants absorb any of the chemicals that are coming through the animals? No, uh, most of the dangers in situations like this are to us from handling the material, which is why I always try to stress to wear gloves in the garden. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank. I feel relieved now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. And um, you know, if you continue to buy mushrooms, look for organically grown mushrooms. Okay. Uh, because the part you didn't see at the mushroom farm is they do spray herbicides on mm. the mushroom soil to keep those seeds from germinating, mm. whereby at an organic mushroom farm, they steam it. Oh, okay. So look for organic mushrooms and maybe spread out into other kinds of mushrooms. Um, you know, the gourmet mushrooms you see in the supermarket, uh, their taste is far superior and they're all better for you nutritionally. What are the big ones? I forget their name. Oh, uh, shiitake. Yes, yes. They're like eating meat. They're so heavy. Well, that's the that's the so-called unami factor, where you get that big sense of not so much flavor, but density and form. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, those mushrooms are filled with phytochemicals that are really good for us. Mm-hmm. I love, just love the taste. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right, well, good luck to you, Nance. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone about proper watering. Measure your rainfall and be ready to soak your soil with an inch of H2O any week we don't get good rain. But don't go out to check that old crack rain gauge of yours just yet, because we'll be right back with a fantastic four question of the week and more of your fantastic phone calls. I'm Mr. Fantastic, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. Welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. 
I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, a four-way, four-way question of the week. We'll talk about deer. We'll talk about motion-activated sprinklers. We'll talk about lanternfly larvae. There's almost more than I can, well, there's always more than I can understand. But first, more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. George, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how are you? I am just Ducky. Thanks for asking, George, as is <laughs> as is Ducky himself. He he can't wait to get his mask off. He feels like the the lone ranger, the lone Ducky and his robot companion saving the old west one silver bullet at a time. That's true. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm getting as cranky and squirrely as all the rest of you out there. <laughs> oh boy. Where are you, George? I'm in Summers Point. Oh, a wonderful shore town in New Jersey. Yes, yes. I am a fan of Ocean City, Maryland. But oddly enough, even though I thought I had done the entire um, South Jersey shore, I I really can't recall ever being to Ocean City, New Jersey, but it is my Diane's favorite place. So we'll get get there sooner or later. Yes. Now, you'll, you'll... Pleasantly surprised. It's a great place. Oh, I expect it to be great. Now, have you been to Ocean City, Maryland? I have. Uh, back in my college days. It's been a while. <laughs> because there's a bar every block, right? Right. Uh, not. not uh, I think there's the Purple Moose. Everybody's familiar with that uh, yep, on yep. the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very different there. All right. Enough chit chat. What can we do you for, sir? Well, um, uh, my wife and I were looking at our our trees. Uh, We have about five oak trees on our property. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some odd reason, there seems to be like a a mold or fungus growing on the bark. Um, And um, I noticed that uh, some of the limbs seem to um, uh, are, are losing their strength and and under high winds are falling off. So okay. Um, so essentially, you're not liking your liking. No, it, it just seems like the tree is blighted. Uh, uh, no, not- no, it's not. It's not. Everybody wants a blight or a fungus or something. Oi, jeez. Um, it's just typical stuff that's in the atmosphere. Generally, like. Moss grows on the north side of a tree because that's the part that gets the least sun. I'm thinking these trees have gotten really crowded and they're struggling to get sun. I I would say uh, I have three of the trees in the front of the house, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they're about uh, 30 feet tall each. Mm -hmm. And we're on a a 50-foot wide lot by 120 feet. Now, are they growing out of a lawn? Yes. Is the lawn treated? No. Is the lawn irrigated automatically? No. Um, and mm. water water drains okay out there. Correct. Okay. We are not too are are we're not too far above uh, sea level. So okay. Um, are the trees leafing out normally? They had blossoms on them, and they have yet to leaf. Okay, I'm, but l- let's say last year, because this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, yes, they did. Uh, they they leafed out last year. Okay, so what's going on is we've had such rainy and cold stretches during the summer, and then of course summer days in the winter. But mm-hmm. we've all we continue to have 
uh, too much rain. And, you know, the wind that we have been subjected to, and I'm going to guess that your wind that close to the water perhaps has been even more violent than our winds over the last couple of weeks. Yes, uh, I would, I, you know, I, it's been a while since I've been back home uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, but, um, yeah, the winds down here are, are uh, I believe, are a little uh, uh, higher and, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes gustier because there's less uh, tree, tree cover. So what's happening here is there is mold, mildew, lichen um, appearing on the trunk and the branches simply because there isn't enough airflow and there's too much moisture in the atmosphere. And the solution is fairly simple, and I don't think it'll be too expensive. You know, you're not mm-hmm. talking about 50, 60-foot-tall trees. The one in the back is about 45. Okay. So what I would do, and are the ones in the back any different? Uh, the one in the back, uh, I have two in the back. One's a cherry blossom. The other is a, the oak. Right. And uh, the oak is about 45, maybe 50 feet tall. Right. But is, that, it, is it covered that, with lichen? It, it does have, um, you know, some, some areas that it's covered. Uh, a couple of the limbs seem to have the bark pulling away. Mm-hmm. So, That's not the symptom of any kind of disease, I know. But again, you can imagine, just as with a, a piece of wood on siding or something, if something mm-hmm. stays wet, Mm-hmm. and never has a chance to dry out, you know, it's mm-hmm. going to rot away. So what I would suggest is this is the perfect time of year to do this. You contact mm-hmm. a couple of certified arborists. I think mm-hmm. there's uh, quite a few in your general area. And you mm-hmm. ask them to come out and give you an estimate for thinning out the trees in the dormant season over the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, compare those estimates and also, you know, ask them if they agree with my remote diagnosis. But I think they will. And I think getting more airflow into the trees and perhaps um, they can even shape them up in a nicer manner for you. Okay. But if we're not taking down the trunk or Mm -hmm. any gigantic pieces of wood then the job should not be overly expensive. But because the limbs of oaks are very solid wood and very long, it needs to be done professionally. They need to be taken off in sections. And you should, if they are dropping branches, which is very unusual for oaks, um, Mm -hmm. the problem should be taken care of. And the more light and air you get in there, the more this problem will literally take care of itself. And if they want to sell you anything different, call me back. Okay. Um, the neighborhood has a lot of mature trees. Right. So uh, I guess in a way that, that lends to your analysis of, of, of the uh, uh, airflow and, uh, and light. Yes, that, oaks, that are, oaks are very long-lived. If you love your trees, there's a great book I read years ago Um, called Oak, the Tree of Civilization. And Mm -hmm. it essentially explains how oak trees did almost everything for us as a global society, for shipbuilding and other kinds of building. The stories are just mind-boggling. 
And uh, yeah. it's a gr- well-written book. Yeah, I, I've made a note of that, so I'll uh, try and get that off of Amazon. All right, and now's the best time to get those estimates. Don't be rushed into anything. Uh, Don't Mm -hmm. be sold on injections or treatments. You just want a good thinning out for airflow. And uh, you have any questions, call us back or shoot me an email. I just have one question for you, not related to the oak. Um, We want to put up, uh, uh, we we wanted to put up hummingbird uh, feeders. Um, The color red, the color red. And the red. color red. You want red, red, a red. red hummingbird feeder on red, a pole red, red. that you have painted red, and you should tie red ribbons all around uh, the pole itself. Now, if you want to grow a well-behaved plant that is a favorite for hummingbirds, yes. um, there is an heirloom bean called the scarlet runner bean. And it's a pole bean, which means it needs big support, but it produces the red. In construction, you know having the right people for the job matters. Trusted QuickBooks solution providers are back office construction experts who can help you find the business solution you need today with the flexibility to grow with you tomorrow. Find out more at QuickBooksPartnerSolutions.com. Want to be your own boss? Let Geisinger Health Plan be your ticket to freedom. Geisinger Marketplace has you covered with plans that fit every need and budget. Call 866-755-4470 to learn more. Tubular flowers that hummingbirds are adapted to coming to. And when those flowers fall off, what you get are little string beans if you pick them right away. If you leave Uh them on the plant longer so the pods get bigger, then you get lima beans. If you leave them on the plant until the pod dries out, you get these beautiful jewel-like seeds that you can cook like uh, kidney beans or navy beans. And they're very beautiful. They're great heirlooms. Hummingbirds love them. And um, just the look of everything about the plant is stunning. My... uh I'll get my wife. My wife is doing a garden, so that'll um, work with. Uh, we we got some. Um, I guess they're called lilies, and some iris and some gladiolas. Yeah, those are flowers. The, it, these are edible plants, although you're going to grow them for the flowers in your case. Okay, so scarlet runner bean is one of them, and um, is there was there anything else? Uh, there are some flowering vines that are very attractive to hummingbirds, but you have to be careful because many of them are invasive. Ah, okay. You have okay. to do due diligence there. All right, understood. All right, we got to get out of here. All right, thanks very much, Mike. Uh, have a great week. You too, George. Stay safe. Ellen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ellen. How you doing? I am just fine, and I live in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Excellent. Um, been there many times. What can we do you for? Well, I have a problem. Uh, earlier this spring, I had a shrub that got hit by Mother Nature's frozen ice box. We ice box. We had a late freeze. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we have frost, but this time it was a solid freeze. Mm -hmm. Uh, It affected a lot of trees, notably Japanese maples, but in particular, I have uh, a witch hazel. It's a mature, about 10-year-old witch hazel, Mm -hmm. and I always like 
to look at its um, flowers in the early spring. No, it's not early spring. It's late winter. Um, witch hazel yes. is perhaps the earliest blooming shrub that I'm familiar with. But you would think that, you know, and in many cases it's more of a tree form than it is a shrub. But you would think that a plant that has adapted uh, to flower in still solid winter would be very resistant to frost. I guess maybe you had a series of warm days leading up to that? Yes. Yes, we did. We had days up to 80 and beyond. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of crazy up and down. So I think the poor uh, bush just got excited and decided that it would start in uh, swelling the buds. Well, not only that, I mean, all that warm weather uh, had the sap running up to the mm. you know top of the tree shrub, and it's that sap that freezes. I mean, if your buds freeze, oh. you simply lose the flowers for that season. But if you've okay. got a tree that thinks it's July and the sap is running like mad, um, that, that can be treacherous because especially if the temperature drops precipitously, um, as it did, yeah. Yeah, that new mm -hmm. sap just freezes solid. And, um, you know, the branches can kind of explode. Well, what happened was that, yeah, I just had buds sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I had a few very, very tender leaves at the very, very end of the branches coming out, struggling out. Right. And what kind of shape is it in now? Well, I, I did some drastic surgery. Oh, so uh, it was I, it was already injured. So you figured amputation oh. would be the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't doing a heck of a lot except at the very ends of a few branches. And that's what you cut off. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I took it down. Oh, uh, it was that's it pretty was dramatic tall. pruning. Yeah. Yeah, and it it was kind of um, wobbed up in the inside of it. Mm -hmm. So since I could see all the way through it, I decided that I would uh, really do a drastic pruning job and kind of clean it out. Did you um, leave anything, or is this the plant now known as Stumpy? No, no, it's not Stumpy at all. It it was probably ooh, at least nine feet high. Mm -hmm. Good. Um, it, it gets good watering uh, from a neighbor's uh, downspout, oh. and uh, <laughs> it, it was very, very happy for years and years. But no, I took it down to just about five feet. Okay, and, and what's I the result been? The uh, well, it's it's bursting out with leaves. Okay, good. It, it, it's looking a lot happier, and um, I put some compost underneath it. Kind Always of a good idea. Yeah. Yep. And, and so I'm kind of happy uh, with with what I did to it, and it probably needed to be um, cleaned out in the inside anyway just to untangle it. Right. In the future, um, I, I don't like pruning after a savage attack by Mother Nature, but you seem not to. Oh. You seem not, because everybody wants to do something, Right. Nature took, yeah. its, nature took its shot, and then, oh, I guess we have to feed it. I guess we have to prune it. And my advice then is to watch, binge watch more television 
Just let the, <laughs> let the plant try to repair itself. Now, if a situation like this arises again, or you feel a need for more pruning, never remove more than one-third of the plant. Oh, now, okay. it sounds like you, you came close to half, so that's not the worst. And the fact that it's leafing out well now means it, it'll absorb solar energy and it'll be able to set buds. It's probably setting buds for next year already. Well, I would hope so. I know the rule for pruning just after flowering, like with right. Pacific. And so since it didn't flower at all and it was just sitting there like a lump, um, I decided, well, I had to do something. Hey, so. hey the rest of us lumps re- resemble that remark. You know. <laughs> well, it sounds, it sounds like it's going to do well, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, nature wipes out entire civilizations and these things are going to happen. And the fact that the plant is leafing out well now bodes very well for the future. Yeah, I'm happy. I hope it does. It's it's a plant that gives me a lot of pleasure very early in the spring. Absolutely. Absolutely. That and spring bulbs, they give us color after Mm. uh, the drab part of the year. All right. Um, Enjoy. I think it's going to bloom for you next season. Knock on for Micah. And uh, good luck to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your advice. Well, I thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind all of you, once again, that your garden needs an inch of water a week from you or from the sky. And the right way for you to apply that water is deep and long. Set your sprinklers to come on at 5 or 6 a.m. and off at 9 or 10. But only in the a.m., only once a week, and only when we don't get that angry inch of rain. But don't go apologizing to your wilted tomatoes just yet because we'll be right back with the answers to four fantastic questions and more of your fantastic phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome to a very special edition of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to a four-part question of the week. Carl, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Carl. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, fine. And yourself? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking, Carl. Where are you, man? I'm in... Uh, Central Maine, Auburn, Maine, about an hour north of Portland, Maine. Okay, very good. Uh, what can we do for Carl in Maine? Well, actually, I probably could take up your whole show, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> I have a handful of questions, the first of which was, or is, how, how can I prevent cats from making a mess out of my flower bed? And if I could put mulch, would that make it easier for the cats and, and other animals to leave my flower bed alone, or is mulch a bad 
bad thing in general. So I guess that's a two-part question in a sense. Okay. Um, this comes up all the time. Cats uh, are genetically adapted to cover their feces and their urine, um, both to, in, in many cases, to protect themselves um, from predators um, so that, you know, nobody's really sure if there's a cat around or not. So there's no way to stop that. And they're going to dig up anything soft, whether it's soil or almost any kind of mulch. Although now that you ask the question, something rough like straw might be unattractive to them. I've never thought about this this way before. Um, you know, compost would be the same as your soil. Uh, the wood mulch, ugh, it's awful for your plants. And I don't think that they would... Uh, be deterred by it in the least. But maybe a rough mulch like straw. Now, the thing about straw is you have to make sure you get straw and not hay. Straw is like a drinking straw. It's hollow at both ends. All the seed heads have been removed. Hay, on the other hand, is animal fodder. And the most nutritious part is the seed heads. So if you mistake straw for hay, or hay for straw, or whatever, um, you will grow a field of wheat. And as I found out when I made that rookie mistake decades ago, if you do that, don't get mad and try to rip it up because uh, uh, for some reason, wheat is as sharp as razor blades. <laughs> so don't trust signage. You got to look at the bales and make sure there's no seed heads in there. So that's a new answer. The old answer is to get chicken wire and lay it over the soil in the beds, you know, use um, wire cutters to go around the plants, but you're not going to look at it. You're going to press it into the soil just until it disappears. So you won't be looking at the chicken wire, but the cats will not be able to cover their stuff. And they won't like the feeling of it the minute they walk onto the bed. They'll, their claws will get caught in it, so they'll go somewhere else. For people starting new gardens, new raised beds, I always advise them to just put the chicken wire down before any planting takes place. That way you're not playing catch-up ball. So putting the hay, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the uh, chicken wire, can it be below the surface at all? I mean, at this point, everything is growing, so it'll be a next-year project. So, uh, no, no, I... no, 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 it, it, no. You, you cover the bare soil with it. Um, working around the plants as best you can. This stuff is easy to cut. And okay. yes, you press it into the soil just until you can't see it anymore. And, okay. and then it's out of sight and very effective. Okay, well, uh, as much as I, I don't love the cats, I'm going to do this. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Uh, what's number two? Come on, come on, Carl. Uh, was number two was... Um, number two, so is, what are, the, are number two mulches, is what the cats were doing. <laughs> yeah, no, don't... Uh, are, all mulch, uh, are all mulches bad? I mean, no. uh, cedar, bark... Mulch, is it? mulch does not mean wood. Mulch is any substance that covers the surface of the soil to prevent weeds and conserve moisture. Compost is a mulch. Shredded fall leaves are a fabulous mulch. Pine straw, which is becoming more and more available in the mid-Atlantic states, is a beautiful, excellent mulch. Any kind of wood mulch is going to absorb nitrogen from the soil. 
and any kind of wood mulch also has the potential to breed nuisance molds like artillery fungus, which can irrevocably stain the sides of homes and light-colored cars. Dyed mulch is poison. Um, the reason it's dyed it is, is to disguise the original uh, use of the wood, which may be pressure-treated pressure um, construction debris, um, insecticide-soaked pallets from China. I, you know, this is monkey see, monkey do. This, yeah. was, this was never a good idea, but landscapers sold it. And once you saw it on your neighbor's house, you wanted it on your house, and then it went all the way down the block. But this is a case where all of the people are wrong all of the time. So and, pine straw, pine straw as in pine needles? Uh, yeah, essentially, yes, although they are longer than we're used to. They're harvested down south, and each um, straw, so to speak, uh, you know, can be a foot or so long. And it has a kind of a reddish hue to it. It's, I'm using it on a lot of my raised beds this season, and I absolutely love it. And it is the mulch of choice down south. Okay, so I'm sure I can find that online or possibly around here, but more likely online. Well, you'll, you'll, find, you'll you know, just call around, see what you can do. All right, well, uh, thank you very much for the answers. Uh, you're going to make my life a little bit better. The cat's not so happy, my wife happier. Uh-huh. So I think the cats are going to have to understand that a happy wife is the way to go. That's exactly right. Maybe they'll still come by and kill your mice and voles for you. <laughs> as long as they don't make a mess so I don't have to reach my hand in there to oh, clean things oh. up and find out. <laughs> the first time I encountered this problem, I thought I was harvesting a potato. Um, two boxes of Brillo, and I still wouldn't eat with that hand for three weeks. <laughs> okay, All right. Well, thank you again. My pleasure, Carl. Take care. Have a great day. Yeah. You too. Bye-bye. All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, a four-parter, four-parter, which we are calling Evil Squirrels Cartoon Dice, Killing a Lawn Softly and Explaining Endorphins. To start... Daniel writes, my wife and I listen to your podcast and are just ducky in Sanatoga, PA, which is just east of Pottstown. Deer are an issue here as they can't be hunted near homes. I was hoping you could tell us which motion-activated sprinkler you would recommend to repel deer, other critters, and of course those Satan evil servants, the squirrels. We are planting three raised beds, each 12 inches high, 13 inches wide, and 11 inches long, side by side, with a 36-inch space between each. Would a sprinkler be enough, or should we also use a pain-to-install fence? Well, these are really small beds. Not sure the terrain you're working with, but I see no reason for three-foot-wide lanes. The standard is two feet. So feel free to shrink the lanes in between the beds and expand those beds a bit. That said, a motion-activated sprinkler should be perfect to protect an area that size. I really can't endorse a specific brand, but I can suggest you visit the land of Amazonia and read the reviews. And while it's getting late in the season to get started, I still think it's a good idea to build the beds now. Then you can grow a lot of cool season crops like lettuce, spinach, kale, and beets. And be sure to save one of those beds for a big planting of garlic, which in your area, where the climate is similar to the Philadelphia suburbs, should be planted around September 1st. 
If you're going to mail order your planting garlic, get that order in now, as the rush for plants and supplies this season has not decreased in the least. Or talk to the folks at your local farmer's market and see if you can reserve some locally grown garlic. They'll be harvesting this year's crop very soon. We move on to Nancy in Flowertown, PA, which is where all the flower comes from. She writes, I found a colony of tiny black bugs with white dots on my roses. I instinctively squashed them with a gloved hand, but did not think to get a picture first. I couldn't ID them on Google. I'm hoping they were not beneficial. Can you help me with this? P.S. It's great to see your handsome face on PBS 39. Well, thanks, but I think you may need new glasses. Now, those crazy black and white cartoon dice with legs are the nymph form of our newest invasive enemy, the spotted lanternfly. Now, don't feel bad. I didn't know what they were when they showed up, interestingly enough, on my roses as well last season. Because I didn't know what they were, I did nothing, and they did no damage I could see. My advice is to spray them off with sharp streams of water early in the morning or soak them with insecticidal soap or a light horticultural oil designed for use in the summer. Number three, it's a triple already. Judy in South Central PA, who listens to us Sundays on WPSU in State College, writes, I'm looking for an easy way to create space for a garden. What would you think about covering a portion of grass with black plastic? Would it kill the grass? Would it be easier than digging up the grass? Any other suggestions? Well, you will have nothing but misery if you attempt to kill a portion of a lawn and then try to grow a flat earth garden there. It would take years for the plastic to do the initial job well in your climate, and then the grass would quickly, 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 quickly move back in. Success will follow, however, if you scalp that area of lawn until dirt blows out the back of the mower, lay down a single sheet of thick cardboard over top, and then top that with a nice raised bed frame that you will then fill with a mix of high-quality compost, screen topsoil, and lots of perlite. Yes, my love affair with perlite continues. Then, as we just mentioned, you can plant fall crops in it right away and be ready to hit the ground running at full speed next season. Remember to keep the width at or under four feet, but you can make it as long as you like. We conclude with Margaret in Hampton, Virginia, which is in the Norfolk, uh, Virginia Beach area. She writes, can you give me a reference for a show that aired several weeks ago? You and the guest were having a discussion about how the smell of good soil increases one's levels of endorphins. Absolutely. But first, I have to apologize to our guest that day, Suzanne Longacre, who was supposed to discuss something completely different with me, companion planting. But she talked about that research while we were getting ready for the interview. And then I blindsided her by turning the interview into a discussion of this fascinating phenomenon. We got a lot of requests for the, quote, original study. But my research found that the information came from several studies that had been combined to make numerous different articles in the, quote, popular press, which is only to say that these compilations were not peer-reviewed. But I read them. They're all well-written and well-researched. 
We'll post links to a number of them with this week's article at the Gardens Alive website. They're all a little different and all contain links to some of the original peer-reviewed studies. Well, that sure was a lot of interesting advice in 900 words now, wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wish to read the information over with those promised links to detailed articles about how the smell of soil may be better for your soul than Prozac, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes. My producer is threatening to sequester my soil if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588, or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. How much would you get in Scrabble for those four letters? i got to figure that out. If you email, please, please, please include your location. Or I'm going to email you back about your location. You're going to email me back an email that simply says Erie PA, and then I'll send you back an email with a lot of question marks on it, and then you know we'll just give up on each other and move on to other people. <clears throat> you'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our priceless, internationally renowned podcast. It's all at that website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media, in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is proudly distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he saw the Three Stooges live at Skioli's in Northeast Philly in 1960. And even though the iron appeared to shoot live steam, Mo didn't seem to be actually able to hurt Larry with it. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer, as always, is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Unless you ask him about the Major League Baseball season, then he's not cheerful anymore. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of pretty pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Uh, Eric Werner is here in his astral form. At least that's what he's claiming on his time card. I think Zach the Tack and John Flynn are in the house. Maybe Bill Semler too. But I can't be sure as by orders of the Dread Dormammu, we are required to operate in separate dimensions while in the building. Continued thanks to our fearless leader and the true Dread Dormammu, 
CEO Tim Fallon, who keeps allowing us to come in to take new material, even though his head seems to be on fire. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I'm listening to the crazy world of Arthur Brown, keeping an eye on my potatoes, getting ready to harvest my garlic, and wondering why I have to pay for my wine when I'm wearing a mask in the liquor store. And I got 20 accomplices. Oh well, keep your mask on, and Ducky and I will see you again next week. Yeah, 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 yeah.